So here's how it went down yesterday. Dozen chocolate donuts in my control. And I didn't touch one of them. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I was so proud of myself. My initial plan was I would hold out through half the sermon. And I thought I'd do pretty good. But then I got through half the sermon and said, no, I can handle this. I'll eat them after services. And then the elders started chasing me around with the box. But I was strong. I offered them to other people. And then I got a text this morning. Your donuts are in your office. <laughs> so I said, well, I just, I know, I won't eat a lot at home. Then I can come and have some donuts. But I was hungry. So I ate a little something at home. I figured, I'm okay if I'm hungry. I got donuts. But I'm trying to illustrate self-control. I mean, that's the point of the whole box. Because me and donuts, me and chocolate, so I got chocolate donuts. Now, poor Doug, he, he just couldn't handle it. He was up here. He was distracted. The, the air was just wafting the scents up into his poor face. And he started sweating. So I had to give him one. I don't know how many are going to survive today's services. I can't tell you. But whatever's left when we're done. Now, why is this one in a Ziploc bag? Some of them are, some of them aren't. Save it. <laughs> we should just hang that. Ooh. Whoa, that's good. Don't do that. Don't make eye contact. Just ignore the donuts. All right. You'll see why I want to talk about self-control a little later. But first, let's get back to 1 Samuel. That's the book of the Bible we're in. So if you remember over the last couple of weeks, the children of Israel, they wanted a king. And God warned them. He said, this is not a good idea. The king is going to give you significant taxes. He's going to take your children, conscript all of you into labor. It's going to be difficult on everybody. I advise you not to have a king. And of course, the children of Israel, being the brilliant and godly people that they were at that time, said, we'll take a king. I mean, after all, what does God know? He's only God. So they got a king, and God picked for them a good king. People ask me, why did God give him Saul? Saul was a horrible king. Well, he was tall and handsome. What more do you want in a king? Now, if you weren't here that week, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, we looked at some statistics. Even today, tall and handsome people are paid more to work. They make more money than shorter people up to $5,000 a year more because they're tall. Most presidents, the taller one becomes the elected official. It's crazy. I read to you all sorts of statistics about being tall and good looking. For the rest of us, huh? We got to dress nicer to make up for it. <laughs> so they got a good king. And as we're going to see in today's lesson, he actually starts out being a good king too. He starts well. He starts the race well. But he doesn't finish so well. He fails. And I read to you some verses of Scripture to let you know it's not 
what's on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside that matters. This verse from Acts. The people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I will do ev- he will do everything I want him to do. Saul looked good on the outside, but he wasn't good. He failed. David did not look so impressive on the outside, but he was an awesome king. He had the heart of God. And God said, he'll do everything I want him to do. And it was kind of funny because... They took Saul, the awesome king, who was a head taller than anybody else in Israel, and who does God pit him up against? Goliath. He says, you want tall? I'll give you tall. And all the Israelites ran from Goliath. But little David, David was a grown man, but he wasn't tall. He ran after Goliath. Everybody ran from Goliath. David ran after Goliath. I told you it's not the size of the man in the fight that matters. It's the size of the fight and the man or the faith in the man. And that's where we were. Then we also looked at how Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and how God empowered him to do battle and defend Israel. And that's where we are today, his first battle, chapter 11. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. When you read through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but the New Testament isn't much better, you come across these names, Nahash, Ammonite, Jabesh Gilead. What's that mean? If you can't picture, pronounce the name, can't picture the place, it's just a bunch of blah, 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 went to blah, 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 and met blah, blah. And it doesn't have the impact if you don't know what's going on here. So let me try to help you just a little bit. Nahash the Ammonite. So he goes to war, so obviously he's the leader of the, of the army. Ammonite. The Ammonites were the descendants of Lot. Remember Lot, the guy who fled Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, when the children of Israel were leaving uh, Egypt, God said they could destroy anybody that messed with them, and they could take over the land of anybody in the promised land. But he said, leave the Ammonites alone. They're the descendants of Lot, and I've given them some promised territory. So Israel left them alone. But the Ammonites didn't like Israel. And so here we are hundreds of years later, and now the Ammonites are coming to attack Israel. All bets are off now. We went through your territory. We left you alone. Now you're coming after us? And look what they do. First of all, the men of Jabesh Gilead in Israel said, make a treaty with us. We'll be subject to you. We don't want to fight. We'll pay taxes. You just tell us what we got to do. We just don't want to fight. But Nahash the Ammonite said, I will make a treaty with you only on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace upon Israel. This guy, he was nasty. He didn't want to conquer. He wanted to humiliate and maim an entire city in Israel. What a monster. So the men of Jabesh Gilead, they weren't so keen on making a treaty now because they would all have to get their eyeballs poked out. Nice guy. So word got to the brand new king, Saul. When Saul heard, verse 6, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. I told you about what happens 
with a brief survey last week about what the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon people. We talked about filling of the Holy Spirit. How about this? Filled with the Holy Spirit, burns with anger. The Holy Spirit filling filled him with anger. How many of you thought anger was always a bad thing? Yeah, yeah guess what? It's not. It's not always a bad thing. When a bunch of evil men come to your city and threaten to put out your eyeballs, if you're not angry at that, you've got a problem. At that moment, anger is a good thing. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He was filled with anger, and he said, uh-uh, not on my watch. Everybody else was like, ooh, Jabesh, we're scared, we're scared. Saul said, let's go to war. That's, that's it. End of discussion. Good king. Doing what a king needed to do. So, let's say we're going to war. Let's say right now. Say there's a, there's a gang of those bad boys coming to attack our church right now, and we got to fight, and I need volunteers. And let's say 10 of you men volunteered. And I'm like, dude, there's 50 of them. We need more than 10. We're not going to win. Well, I don't want to fight. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. And... <laughs> How do you win like that? You can't. When we go to war, we have this thing called the draft because you don't usually get enough volunteers. There are volunteers who are willing to fight for their country, but there's usually not enough. So when you're in a country, the country forces you to do battle. You got to go to war. It's called the draft. Saul initiated a draft. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. Saul didn't just say, new law, you have to go to war. He said, if you don't, we're coming to your property and destroying your oxen. So what would that mean in today's language? We're going to take away all your food and, and stop your job and stop your paychecks and slash all the tires on your car and pour salt in the tank. You're like, oh, I either go to war or lose everything. Very huge incentive to go to war. The terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. They were united. They were ready to fight. Saul mustered them at Bezek. The men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. So we've got 330,000 men. And let me tell you, that's a small army. We're going to read in the Bible about armies that, that run into the millions, or at least a million, later in the millions. Huge armies. This is all they could put together. Israel's a small country. 330,000. Well, 300,000 from Israel, 30,000 from Judah, which was one of the tribes. So the other tribes were about 10 times the size of Judah. Makes sense. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. So figure 100,000 per division. During the last watch of the night, so real early in the morning, before the sun comes up, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them till the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that not two of them were left together. So Saul's made the first king of Israel. Everybody's wondering, how's this, thing, this king thing going to turn out? In fact, there were a group of people who said, no, we're not going to accept Saul as our king. They were rebels. Now, after this battle that Saul made happen, and he saved the town, and they chased off the Ammonites. Everybody loves Saul. Hey, when the king does good, everybody loves the king. A bunch of guys got together and said, let's hunt down those guys who rebelled, and let's kill them. 
And Saul said, no, this is a great day for Israel. We're not going to take vengeance and kill our own people. So check out Saul. He's chosen by God. The Holy Spirit falls upon him. In righteous indignation, he puts together an army. He has a victory, and he stops the children of Israel from taking vengeance. He's a good guy. Power goes to his head, though. And as we're going to see next week, he falls to fear. And his entire ministry is ruined. But that's next week. This week, he's doing good. Chapter 12. After the battle, Samuel pulls all the people together. And he says, listen, you know your history. You've done this wrong, and you've done this wrong, and you've done this wrong, and you don't miss an opportunity to turn your backs on God. Don't do it again. You've even done it in asking for a king. And we talked about that in a previous week. Is it not wheat harvest? I'm reading now. I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called upon the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel. Let me give you a little history. Just go back a few chapters. The children of Israel lost the ark. Remember that? The ark was taken, and then they repented. because It was taken because of their sin. They repented, and then they went to war with the Philistines. The way God gave them the victory is he did this huge thunder over the Philistine army out of the blue, and it scared them half to death, and they panicked, and they fled, and Israel won. Well, now God turns around, and he does a thunder on Israel. And they're like, okay, we get it. We are this close <laughs> to being destroyed by God. We get it. We understand. Scared them to death. Lord sent a thunder, and he sent rain, and the people said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. We've added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Samuel said. You have done all this evil, yet don't turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good. They can't rescue you. They're useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Verse 24, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. But if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Fear the Lord. Why would we fear God? Isn't God our friend? We'll talk about that next week, what it means to fear God. Then he said, consider what great things he has done for you. Now, that's just some good advice for all of us. I don't know about y'all, but I'm easily distracted by the negative. I can have a hundred good things going on, but if one bad thing happens, it ruins all of it for me. That's not good. That is not how I should be. Why should I let the 1% ruin the 99%? That's just stupid, but I do. How do we fix that as people? Focus in on the other 99%? Give thanks to God for all the great things he has done in your life? What are some of the great things he has done in your life? Oh, no. Well, did you sleep in a bed last night? Great thing he's done in your life. Was your house cooled? You do live in the desert. 
great thing he's done in your life. Did you eat within the last few hours, few days? Great thing he's done in your life. Can you walk? Take that for granted. There's a lot of people who can't. I'm just talking about real basic stuff we take for granted. How many car accidents did you not get in? Let's not talk about the one you got in. Okay, you got in one. How many were avoided? Situations you have no clue how you got out of them. And on and on the list goes. Not even to talk about the spiritual blessings that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. Good stuff. But there's some other things mentioned in what Samuel just said to Israel that I want to draw your attention to. In verse 22, God said to Israel, the Lord was pleased to make you his own. So Samuel, talking for God, he says, the Lord was pleased to make you his own. So here's my first observation. Israel is God's special people, his chosen people. How many of you have ever heard that expression, the chosen people? Let me see your hands. Okay, it comes from the Bible. Listen, Deuteronomy 7. The Lord your God has chosen you. He's talking to the children of Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. It was because the Lord loved you. So Samuel says, yeah, there's the thunder, but you've got to walk with God. God loves you, you children of Israel. You are his chosen, his special treasure. That's got to make you feel pretty good standing in that crowd that day. Yeah, we're chosen by God. How cool is that? So observation number one, Israel is God's chosen people. Observation number two, Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, verse 22, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Let me read that to you again. The Lord will not reject his people. From the days of the second, maybe third century, at least popularized in the third century, though it started before that, to this very day, a significant number, I'm talking majority in spades, of people who call themselves Christians have been raised under a theology that says God has rejected the Jewish people because the Jewish people rejected Christ. This is Christian theology. It's not our theology. It's not Bible theology, but it's what most Christians are taught. Some of the pastors you love and respect, who you hear on the radio and buy their books, believe that. And yet, didn't he just say, the Lord will not reject his people? God won't reject his people. Jeremiah the prophet said something similar. By the way, this type of thing is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. So do not fear. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security. Jacob means Israel. And no one will make him afraid. I am with you, and I will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. How can anybody possibly believe God rejected Israel after a statement like that? Oh, because they killed Christ. Uh, excuse me, did you read the book? It was the Romans who killed them. So you're really out of luck if you're Italian. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, 
Isn't Jesus the Son of God? How do you kill God? You can't kill God. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. So, who killed Jesus? Nobody. Who killed Jesus? Jesus did. Who killed Jesus? The Romans did. Who killed Jesus? The Jewish people did. Who killed Jesus? People who sinned. By the way, if you've ever sinned, raise your hand. You killed Jesus. He died for you. So this idea of anti-Semitism based in their rejection of Christ, it's just evil. It's just bad. It's just an excuse to hate somebody that God loves. And that's kind of sad. The most persecuted and maligned people group in world history are Jews. The only people group that God says is the apple of his eye and his treasured possession whom he has an eternal covenant with. I guess if you're going to hate somebody, that would be the people to hate. Because where does hate come from? The devil. And of course it makes sense then that the devil would hate the people God loves the most. Makes sense when you look at it that way. Observation number one, Israel is God's chosen people. When I say Israel, by the way, I'm not talking about the country in the Middle East, which is also called Israel. I'm talking about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because sometimes they live there, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're a political entity, sometimes they're not. I'm talking about the people, wherever they may live, who have their land called Israel also. So, observation number one, Israel is God's chosen people. Observation number two, God won't reject Israel. Observation number three from verse 25, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. So my third observation is, even though God loves Israel, he will discipline her for her sins. It's not like she's a spoiled, rotten nation that can get away with anything because God loves them. Oh, no, because God loves them, his eyes on them even more than other people. And they will be disciplined for their sin. Jeremiah, same thing. Listen to what he said. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. So God loves Israel, but that doesn't mean they get away with anything. Number one, they're his chosen people. Number two, he won't reject them. Number three, he will discipline them. He will punish them. Well, at this point, if you come from a Jewish background, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Saying, yeah, one of the chosen people. God's got my back. I'm special. It ain't that way. Nothing to brag about. If you're tall and you take pride in that, how silly is that? What did you have to do with it? Right. Nothing. If you got blonde hair, what did you have to do with it? Nothing. If you're Jewish, you got nothing to brag on because you didn't have anything to do with it. It's just the way God made you. But I'm not going to leave it at that. God has another chosen people. Here's what the Bible says about the followers of Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
So not only are Jews the chosen people, but the church is the chosen people. Some of that verbiage I quoted from 1 Peter 2 actually comes from the promises God made to Israel. It's kind of like being brought into the family, wrapped in, grafted in to the olive tree. And just like God promised he would never reject Israel, he has also promised that he would never reject his church. Let me define for you the word church. Church doesn't mean a building, though it also means a building. That's not what it means in the Bible. Church doesn't mean a denomination like the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church. Church is a plain, simple Greek word that means a group of people. It's used in Acts to refer to a mob. Anytime you got a group of people, the word is ecclesia, and it's translated into English as church. That's another mess up, because then it makes you think it's a special word. It's not. So you take out that word church in the New Testament and put in the word assembly, congregation, group of people, and it'll be more accurate. So when I use the word church this morning for this lesson, I'm just talking about God's group of people. That's all I'm talking about. And God has promised not to reject his church. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He doesn't leave that standing. Verse 38 I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a verse worth memorizing, people. Go put it up on your refrigerator. You having a down day? You got the 99% going against you? Just read that verse. That is a powerful promise. There is nothing... That's not covered in that verse. I've actually shared that verse with people, and they've said, yeah, but. I'm like, no, no, this verse covers all the yeah, buts. Listen. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. You're part of his church. You are good to go. He's got your back. Even better than Israel's back. Because they got physical promises that are secure. We got spiritual promises that are even more secure. God loves his church. He will not reject his church. But like Israel, God will discipline his people. Listen to what the Bible says about that. My child... And I like how it starts out with those words. Kind of like, uh, I don't know, if my mom ever said, Stephen, I knew I was in trouble. Just because she said the full name. Stevie, all's good. Stephen, uh-oh. So when somebody writes you a letter and says, son, uh-oh. My child, here we go. My child, pay attention when the Lord corrects you. And do not be discouraged when he rebukes you, chews you out, reads you the right act, um, sets you straight. Don't be discouraged when the Lord rebukes you because the Lord corrects everyone he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a child. Listen to this. Endure what you suffer as being a father's punishment or discipline, says another version. 
Your suffering shows that God is treating you as children. When we're punished, it seems to us at the time something to make us sad, not glad. Later, however, those who have been disciplined by such punishment reap the peaceful reward of a righteous life. So I've been working on discipline in myself. Because this is a truth in life you need to know. If you discipline yourself, nobody else has to discipline you. Oh man, my boss chewed me out again today at work. This is like the fourth time this month. What'd you do? Nothing, man. Just showed up a little late. Oh, is that all? Why didn't you chew you out last time? Same thing. Just showed up five minutes late. Oh, you like it when he chews you out? No. Let me give you a little advice. Don't show up late. What time are you supposed to be there? Eight? Show up at 7.45. Every time. Well, you know, things. Do whatever you want. 7.30. When do you get off? Three? Don't clock off at three. Clock off at 3.10, 3.15. Well, it gets mad if we clock out late. Then clock out at three and don't leave till 3.15. Finish up. Clean up your desk. Handle one more phone call. That boss will buy you donuts. That boss will promote you. That boss will like you. And then when you need a little something, like a day off, he'll be happy to give it to you. If we would discipline ourselves, we wouldn't be disciplined. And all these DUI checkpoints, they drive me nuts. Leave me alone. I don't drink and drive. So why are they out there? Because everybody else doesn't discipline themselves. They drink and drive. So we got to put up with it. Well, don't. You don't want to get in trouble with the police? Don't do something illegal. I hate the police. Well, there must be a reason you hate the police. Because they treat me just fine. If you would discipline yourself, you would not come under discipline. Add that to any aspect of your life, even the donuts. I had 12 donuts. In my generosity, I gave one away. Now I've got 11. I can eat 11 donuts. Well, I could try. I don't think I'd make it past three, but I could try. You know, if those donuts were on the counter and you had a five-year-old and you didn't say, don't touch the donuts, hey, what are we having for dinner? Can we have donuts? Sure, have some donuts. The five-year-old would eat the donuts for dinner. Can I have donuts for breakfast? Sure. Do I have to brush my teeth? No. By the way, you adults, who makes you brush your teeth and take your showers? Do it yourself because you're disciplined. You may have the donut thing licked, you may not. I, I, I'm with you. But we are disciplined. We set our alarm clocks, we show up for work, we go, go, go grocery shopping, we do our laundry. Nobody tells us to. We're taught to do it, and we take it on as adults. Now, in the military, there are some men who, you know, military messes with your head. That's one of the things. They try to break you down to nothing and build you up into what they want you to be. But some guys, they don't handle the process too well. 
And so they go out and they get up early in the morning and they're yelled at and screamed at and they got to run three miles, crawl through the mud, come back. They get breakfast. Ten minutes later, they're pulled out of breakfast to do 100 push-ups, get yelled at some more. Why isn't your bed made? Everybody's bed's flipped over. Start over again. In the hassle, some of the guys refuse to take showers. Now, the guys in their platoon or their group or their bunk or whatever they call them say, dude, you need, you need to take a shower, man. We're, we're lining up next to you. You need a shower. They'll give them a couple warnings. But then what happens is they'll come to his bunk in the middle of the night. They'll grab him, a whole bunch of guys. They'll take him to the shower, strip him, and brush him down with sharp bristled brushes. Dude, it's your own fault. Should have taken a shower. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would discipline ourselves, we would not be disciplined. By the way, that's a scriptural verse, 1 Corinthians 11.31. You want to stay out of trouble with the boss? Do your job. You want to stay out of trouble with the cops? Don't break the law. You want to stay out of trouble with God? Obey him. God disciplines his children. But you don't have to be disciplined. You can avoid it. If we would judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Now, one donut won't hurt. Sometimes I'm at the grocery store. And I'm looking at the ding-dongs and the zingers. And the chocolate chips and the chocolate syrup. Because all that goes on the chocolate ice cream. And I'm like, no. We'll have a conversation, me and the zinger. Go away from me, you're evil. And I will go to another aisle. I will not bring that guy home. Because once he's home, he's mine. So I discipline myself a step in advance. I know I can't get it in the house because it's toast. I will do bad things with those zingers. I will eat them. So those ding-dongs, those zingers, those chocolate cupcakes, they stay at the grocery store. Most of the time. Sometimes I'll take some home and say, all right, you've avoided them three or four times. Today you get them. And I'm proud of myself because I don't pick them up at the grocery store. I leave them on the shelf. There are ways you can discipline yourself in advance. I know some guys who have a problem with certain websites. So they have friends install filters on their computers and give the guy the password. They don't have the password. They discipline themselves in advance because they know if it gets there right then, it's too late. They'll fall. They can't handle it. People who have drinking issues, generally speaking, should stay out of bars. Because if they're in the bar, they might be tempted. Outside the bar, they're not as tempted. So they stay outside of the bar. That's discipline. Well, in order for me to be strong, I need to remove the temptation. Is chocolate a temptation to you? All right. Listen. You have to be my guardian. After church, if any of these survive, I get no more than one. All right? Thank you. By the way, no eating donuts in the church, okay? <laughs> no, I'm good. He's bigger than me. If I go after those donuts, I'm going to have a hard time getting him. And he's my son, so he probably won't hit me. But I'm sure he can outrun me. <laughs> So I'm good. Um, 
I talked to you about being God's chosen people. Not everybody is part of God's chosen people. The world's broken up into three people groups, according to the Bible. The Greeks, that refers to non-Jews. Okay? So we'll just call them heathen. The heathen, the children of Israel, and the church of God. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, give no offense, and it mentions those three groups. That's all the world. So, if we were to make a pyramid, the bottom of the pyramid, the last group, you know, we're trying to send to God here, would be the heathen. You need to work your way up the pyramid. Next group, and it's not in order, would be the Jews. Now, the Jews can connect with the heathen, or they can connect with the church of God on top. It's their choice. And at the top is the church of God. Let me give you benefits of being Jewish. I'll give you benefits of being part of the church of God. First of all, Jewish, Israel, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Well, much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, being Jewish is no small thing. The word of God came to these people. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, we wouldn't have the word of God. That's quite an honor. Romans 9. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Now, we don't have time to go into all that, but the promises God made through the children of Israel, the covenants God made through the children of Israel, the adoption as sons through the children of Israel. Verse 5, Romans 9. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. Jesus came through the Jewish people. And Christ is God over all, blessed and praised forever. Amen. So, when Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles, he's saying, hey, it's no small thing to be counted part of the Jewish people. God has really blessed you people. But don't feel jealous, because God has blessed the church even more. Listen to what he says about the church. By the way, the church is made up of Jews and non-Jews. Anybody in the world can be part of the church. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 99% versus 1%. We're children of God. We're out of the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. We're joint heirs with Christ. And the things that are coming, we can't even imagine. It is no small thing to be in the church of Christ. So maybe you're in the first category of Greek. That is, anybody who's not yet a follower of Christ. How do we become one of God's chosen people? Well, first of all, here's how you become one of God's chosen people, Israel. 
You have to be born that way. A descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's kind of hard to pull off. So I told you before, you got no control over that whatsoever. Just a, it's a God thing. But that's not the only way. Do you remember Ruth? She said, I'm leaving my people, and I'm leaving my God. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. She gave up hers, pagan-worshiping people, to worship the God of Israel. She became part of Israel. So there's two ways to become part of Israel. You're born to it, or you choose it. And in a very real sense, choosing it is better than being born to it. Because you can be born a Jew and not appreciate it, not even care about it. It means nothing to you. But somebody who chooses it is doing it for a reason, for a purpose, because they value it. All right, that's how you become part of Israel. How do you become part of the church? Well, just like Israel, you got to be born to it. Did you know that? You did, didn't you? Born again. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So we're spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. We want to join the church. We have to be born again to join it. And just like with Israel, it's a matter of choice. Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. He gave people the choice to repent and believe. Repentance is a choice. Repentance means we know what sin is and we choose to reject it. Rejecting sin is a choice. Belief is also a choice. It's up to you and nobody else but you. Your decision and your decision only. Christ died for our sins and rose again. You can believe that or not. You say, well, Steve, I want to believe it, but I really don't. Do you want to believe it? Yeah, I really do. Fine. Read the Bible. Pray to God to show you the truth of the matter. Pursue the truth. Whose choice is that? Again, so it's birth and it's choice. There are benefits to being part of the church. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you, to quote the scripture. There are benefits. But there are consequences to those who are not self-disciplined. If I can't lay off the donuts, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to get high cholesterol. I might get diabetes, and I'll probably get sick just by eating too many donuts in one shot. One donut, not going to kill me. I can enjoy it. But if I don't exercise self-control, I'm going to have serious problems. You don't exercise self-control at work, you're going to end up fired, and you're definitely not going to get promoted. You don't exercise self-control with the law, you're going to end up getting arrested. If you don't exercise self-control with God, you're going to get busted. If you're a believer, you're going to get punished. If you're not a believer, your punishment is deferred. There's a place called hell for those who don't choose to exercise discipline with God. Those who choose not to follow Jesus will also get punished. So there's benefits, there's consequences to discipline. I'll close with this one verse. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Please pray with me. Lord God, we get it. We understand. But we need help. And so I pray that you would strengthen us to make the right choices, especially the right choices as concerning Jesus. 
And for those of us who've already made that choice, help us to be disciplined, to walk right, so that you don't need to discipline us. But Lord, I'm mostly concerned about those who don't yet know you, those who've heard about you, but have chosen not to follow you. I pray that you would bless them, open their heart, open their mind, call to them, and may they not be so stubborn and resist. And Lord, for us, you've put us here for a purpose. Help us to share what we know with those willing to hear. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.